Here's the thing though. Welcome to another episode of our podcast, Here's the Thing Though. My name is Saliha and I'm your host for today. And I'm here with my producer slash editor, Mitch Price. Howdy. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal and Bidjigal people of the Eora Nation who are the traditional owners of the land that we are recording on today. We'd like to pay our respects to all First Nations people, past, present and future, and acknowledge that we're recording on stolen land and that sovereignty was never ceded. So, Mitch, how are you? How's it going? You know, I'm feeling pretty good, unusually so. <laughs> and I feel like partly that's because we've been little healthy people and going on runs in the morning. Yeah. We went on our second run. Our second run. Which is well, crazy for me because I'm like the least fit person. Exercise just sort of freaks me out and I never want to do it. But Well, you ran. Yeah. I hobbled, but still. <laughs> Mitch went for a run. I went for a little uh, hobble, but it was okay. <laughs> yeah, I have a notoriously bad relationship with exercise. Yeah, Just, you same. know, gym memberships that went wasted and et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, maybe this time. I feel like you've I'm been determined. motivated. Yeah. Like, I used to like gym a long time ago. Haven't gymmed in a long time. But I actually enjoyed it because I used to go with my friends and it's definitely a lot more fun when you got two gals with you and you're laughing. And one of my friends is like really fit and was like really good at helping me out and like teaching me form and stuff. And, it, you know, it's way easier with like your childhood friend than like some random PT. So I used to like it and then I stopped and then my body deteriorated. And now I really struggle to walk up the stairs to my apartment. Like after I <laughs> take my bin out, <laughs> it's not good. But we are working on it. Yes. Self-improvement. Love that for us. Who knew exercise was so good? It actually makes you feel like kind of good afterwards. Anyways, how are you? I'm good. I feel like I've been, it's maybe more of a personal update, but I feel like I've really been managing myself a bit better in the last week. I feel like I've been really anxious for the past few weeks, but maybe in the last seven days or so, I've finally started to like get on top of that a little bit. And like, I think part of it was also just having a good week last week. It was my birthday, so we had a really mm. nice, you know, picnic. And I took a bit of time off work as well. So I had, like, my birthday off, and then I kind of had two half days as well. And I think just having, like, that little bit of extra time for, like, self-care and to just breathe and not be working has actually been so good for me. So clearly a lot of my anxiety is work-related. But I feel like since going back to work, I feel like I'm a bit more on top of it. I think having the break was good. And I'm, like, managing my anxiety. And I think our little runs have actually been really good, for which I know. I mean, like, I'm aware that exercise is good for managing your anxiety. But just who wa- who wants to do that, though? Normally not me. But we're doing it and I feel like it's good and I feel like a healthier person, which is good. So, yeah. Great. Actually, it's pretty good. I feel like my life update is pretty good. Let's dive into some follow-up because there's actually a couple of things I want to talk about. The first one is that there are no more LGAs of concern. So, clearly, Gladys Berejiklian listens to the Here's a Thing Though podcast. (laughs) It's like immediately after that episode, like like a couple of days later, they like lifted restrictions, allowed us to have picnics. I was like, damn, she knows it's my birthday and she knows I'm frustrated. We did provide just a a bulletproof case, (laughs) you know. Yeah, Gladys was like, you know what? As a little treat, just for Saliha. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, so that's been actually like really great, I think. I have seen less cops around, which has been nice. Although there's still helicopters in my area, but less like 
on the floor cops on the ground on the so ground that's another reason to be healthy and fit as well to run away from, from, from law cops. enforcement <laughs> too true the lifting of the lgas of concern has been really good for new south wales and now we have a roadmap to freedom however things seem to be hitting the fucking fan in melbourne i mean just everything there was like an earthquake last week, which was pretty wild. I didn't feel it in Sydney. I know some people did. And some people who live not that far from me felt it in Sydney, but I was not one of them. I didn't know what was happening. And then I logged in for work and I was like, what on earth? An earthquake? Very strange. And then on top of that, we've had, I think, I haven't checked for today, but definitely for at least six days in a row, there have been really quite wild anti-vax, anti-lockdown protests in Melbourne that have on many occasions now become very violent. And there's a few things specific to these protests that I wanted to talk about that I think like are conversations that people are having. For those of you who are in the Here's a Thing Though Facebook group, you may have come across a post last week where somebody was kind of asking about the ethics of calling the cops on violent anti-vaxxer protesters. And it kind of sparked an interesting debate And I already said my point in that group, but for those of you who aren't in that group, I thought that was probably a really relevant conversation. I think a lot of people are really frustrated, obviously, with the anti-vax protesters. Just to give a little context on like what these protests are actually about. So the Victorian government has announced at that time a two-week shutdown of the construction industry because of just the vast amount of COVID cases that were coming from there. And they also uh, mandated vaccines for people in the industry. So after the two-week shutdown, uh, traders could only go back into the industry if they had at least one of their vaccinations, preferably double-vaxxed, which caused an uproar with a lot of different groups of people. And I think that's a really key point in this conversation. So initially, it was like frustrated, angry tradies who were like, we need money, we need to be working, and you can't just kick us out of our industry for two weeks. I don't believe there was any financial or income support for tradies that were out of their jobs for two weeks. So there was a lot of outrage from like a labor front on that regard. And then there was also a lot of outrage because you can't mandate vaccines. What about consent? Blah, blah, blah. Like classic anti-vaxxer rhetoric, right? And about coercion and God, them like co-opting my body, my choice. It's ridiculous. You guys are familiar with this anti-vaxxer stuff though, so I don't need to get too into it. And then on top of that, there's also like the anti-lockdown freedom protesters that have just protested constantly throughout the pandemic. So there's kind of like three key and overlapping, I should say, like they're not mutually exclusive, but three groups, three points that have led to these protests. And so the protests started on the Monday after the announcement, which I think was last Monday, I think on the 20th of September. And then they just happened to like every day that week and things got really violent at the protests between protesters and police, lots of arrests, pepper spray, allegations of the use of rubber bullets. I think the police have stayed pretty silent on that one, but there is footage of it. So it appears that they have used rubber bullets on protesters. It's been pretty fucking wild. Like it's actually been really concerning and quite scary. I've been covering it for pedestrian TV and it's just, yeah, no good. So obviously a lot of people on the left who are pro-vaccine and want all of this to be over have been feeling very stressed about the protests, especially because these people like aren't really wearing masks and not being COVID safe. It's just like we don't really want numbers to get worse and there's fears around that as well. So it makes sense then that a few people are feeling concerned and wondering what to do and what they can personally do 
and the situation. And I'm like not really surprised that like people are like, okay, should I should I call the police if I see anti-vaxxers? Like if I see a protest building or if I see anti-vaxxers out there, like should I call the cops on them? Should I call the cops on people that aren't wearing masks? Blah, blah, blah. And my response to that is no, which I said in the group. But let's like kind of just do a really quick two-minute dive in as to why you shouldn't call the cops on anti-vaxxer protesters, even if we oppose each other ideologically. The point here is that police don't differentiate between the right and the left when it comes to a lot of protesting. Like they don't care to them, protests are illegal and they will fuck you up. And we've seen that with the anti-vax protests and how violent they've gotten. And I think we need to remember that just because we disagree with the anti-vaxxers and we oppose their logic doesn't change the fact that they are protesters and in the future we will be protesters. In the future, when it's safer for us, we will be protesting for Black Lives Matter, for the climate, blah, blah, blah. And if we like encourage the police to use their powers on anti-vaxxer protesters, they will do that to us too in the future. They won't discriminate and we should always be supporting the right to protest, not in the active sense of, yes, tell anti-vaxxers to protest, but I think we should be like staying away from cops when it comes to protesting because anything they do to anti-vaxxers and right-wing protesters, they will do to us. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think this doesn't come from like a sort of liberal perspective in terms of everyone deserves the voice because I think in some cases like we should be entirely opposed and even potentially disrupt uh protests with stuff that i think is ideologically yeah like fuck fascist abhorrent. protesters we don't support them but saying that we need to not call the cops is, is pragmatic it's not that i think everyone you know deserves this open space but that if it's going to become more of a problem for us and our yeah agendas and ideologies etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah and just on top of that as well we are a cab like let's not forget that we're ACAB. We don't support the police. We don't like the police. And we don't decide to go running to the police when it's convenient for us. We also, I think, should have um, some principles and some ideological consistency. And we can't be ACAB when it comes to protesting for Black Lives Matter and then immediately like become buddies with cops and call them and snitch to them when it comes to anti-vaxxers. Like, I don't think that's right. The cops are never your friend. They're never your friend. They're never somebody we should rely on. And like budding up with one fascist to fight another fascist, you're still budding up with a fascist. Like, you know, it's not right. Um, So our stance on that is no, we don't call the cops on anti-vaxxers and we don't call the cops on people not wearing a mask because also it just doesn't make things any better for you as well. Like as an individual, it doesn't make you safer. Calling the police doesn't make you safer. Um, doesn't make the world safer it just causes more issues and also you're just like aiding and abetting the state like we can mind our own business on that one I think the second thing that I wanted to talk about in follow-up which actually a couple of people messaged me about is the Gabby Petito case so for those of you who haven't seen it in the media in the last week or so Gabby Petito is a American influencer she travels a lot and that's kind of what her Instagram is about she went missing after going on a road trip with her fiance. Her fiance returned without her. There was a missing persons investigation. Her body was found. It's been ruled a homicide and the fiance is missing. So they're hunting him down. People like online think he's guilty. Obviously the police can't say that because they don't have any legal grounds at the moment. But like, I mean, her family has accused him and stuff as well. It's a pretty big mess. But the reason I'm bringing this case up 
It's because of the media frenzy that has surrounded it. It has been absolutely feverish. Part of the reason they were able to find her body is because of the media frenzy and like the internet interest in her. Like everybody put their true crime hats on, like found footage of the van of in somebody's like backlog of GoPro footage, reported it to the police, and then they found her body not far away from that. But what we're going to talk about today, just briefly, is why Gabby, of all the missing women, is receiving this much attention. And it's because she is a sympathetic white victim. In the area that she went missing, I think in the last decade, there's been around 700 Native American and other women of color that have gone missing in that same area who haven't received the same interest, haven't received any public outcry or the same police investigation or anything. And there has been a lot of outrage online from women of color and particularly Native American women and black women in America about how when their women go missing, nobody gives a fuck. And then when Gabby, who is who comes off as like quite a sweet girl, travels, has an Instagram, blonde, petite, you know, when she goes missing, the world is outraged. It's made like international headlines, like people in Australia are invested in this story. And it's important to note that like this story is awful. It is sad. And I feel, and honestly, I feel really sad for her. I've been thinking about it a lot because she's my age. And her boyfriend is like, you know, they're like me and Mitch, same age. And I can't imagine that happening to someone I know. But at the same time, like it is worth pointing out that the reason that this case in particular is eliciting more sadness and concern than other cases is because she is a sympathetic white victim. And I think people who are feeling the outrage on that or like are struggling to understand why that's so different, I really recommend listening to our episode on why white women like true crime so much because we really kind of dive in to the relationship between white women and true crime specifically and why white women victims are the victims that people are interested in. And we like we have talked about that in the past and this is just like a relevant topic and a lot of people have been asking me questions about it. I recommend listening to that podcast episode. Speaking of true crime, We've been watching, what is it, Only Murder in the Building? Only Murders? Only Murders in the Building, which is not true crime. It's fictional crime. No, but it's about true crime. It's about true crime. It's about people who meddle in true crime. It's actually really actually, good. Your episode comes out today. Yes, it does. Yes. I did I did remember okay, that. Good. All right. We'll <laughs> I was thinking after. after we recorded, we should watch that. Yeah, I guess just a random little tidbit of information. Uh, on Disney Plus, on like their star channel, there's a new show called Only Murders in the Building starring Selena Gomez. And it's actually really good. Like, I've kind of been really off true crime for a while because how, like, it's so voyeuristic and, like, exploitative. And I really like Early Murders in the Building because I feel like it's quite conscious of that. Like, it is a bit of a critique and it is very self-aware. It's obviously fictional crime. And you know what? The victim is not a woman, which helps for me personally. I'm so sick of, like, creepy, rapey fucking true crime. But um, it's really good. Random side note, you guys should watch it and then talk about it with us. And my last thing that I wanted to bring up in our follow-up, there's a long follow-up today, Mm. um, is that there are two new Britney documentaries either coming out or out like at the same time. So Netflix just dropped a teaser for their Britney Spears documentary. And then the New York Times also released a follow-up to their Framing Britney Spears documentary, which I think is called Controlling Britney Spears. I haven't watched it yet. I just read like the news.com.au article about it. And it is all about like somebody who apparently worked for the security team for Britney, like alleging some pretty illegal surveillance measures that he claims have been 
put over Britney and it's pretty fucking wild. Like, again, this the whole free Britney situation is obviously pretty wild. But something that I kind of wanted to point out is like, I feel like initially with framing Britney Spears, it kind of the the public mentality and the documentaries and the articles that were coming out about it were like quite sympathetic and it seemed to be like a point of concern and whether or not that was genuine like I'm not really interested in but I noticed that the public images around this was like people cared about Britney and they were worried for her and this was out of concern for her and since everything has like now been confirmed by Britney things are becoming a little salacious I think Like with this recent documentary and especially the Netflix one, I feel like it stopped being a sympathetic, like we are worried for her situation. And now it feels the exact same as like the infamous Britney meltdown. Like I just feel like we've come full circle and now it's salacious tabloidy like reporting again. Free Britney is so 2020. Get on the the new Britney wave of being critical and just wanting to strip this drama of everything that it's worth. Yeah, it's becoming, like, I mean, it was already exploitative. It always will be, like, just inherently because the news cycle relies on drama. Like, it will always be exploitative. But it just feels, like, particularly bad at the moment to me. I think, like, with the, I think just because so many documentaries are coming out at once, it just feels like everybody wants a piece of the Britney pie. And it's mm. just, like, yeah, it just, it feels less like investigative journalism now and more, like, let's all cash in on this. And it's a bit icky. It's a bit yucky. But you know what? Speaking of that, that's actually very relevant to our podcast episode today. Today, we are going to be talking about parasocial relationships and a few other things relating to that. We also are going to talk about celebrities and celebrity culture and the death of celebrity. But like overall, we're going to be talking about parasocial relationships and like online gossip, which I think is actually only just realized incredibly relevant to why I feel so icky about Britney. Is this my parasocial relationship with Britney filtering through? I think so. Am I genuinely concerned for Britney or like, is this a selfish exploitative thing? Who knows? But there have been a couple of news stories that I mean, a little bit old now in the news cycle, but I've still been thinking about them, which is what's launched this episode today. And that is the John Mulaney downfall, which some of you might be familiar with. I haven't really seen much commentary of it, like from our little like bubble on Instagram with you guys but I have been thinking about it a lot (laughs) as somebody who like doesn't have that much of a parasocial relationship with John Mulaney but the downfall of John Mulaney and the way Twitter has reacted to his like online scandal at the moment has really started making me think quite critically about the relationships we have with celebrities and what those actually say about us and how I feel about them personally as well so let's get into it So to give you a quick recap on the John Mulaney situation, John Mulaney is a much-loved comedian. You can watch his, like, specials on Netflix, I'm pretty sure, and people adore this guy. Like, people have, you know, differing parasocial relationships with a lot of celebrities, but I think the parasocial relationships between John Mulaney and his fans are incredibly strong. They adore him because that's his brand. Like, his brand is, like, the loving husband, Right, His brand is also his voice. His voice. Very he, distinct. He has a very distinct voice that is very non-threatening and, like, comfortable. He just seems like a trustworthy dude. He could say anything and I would just laugh. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's great. He's great. And also, like, importantly, 
a lot of his comedies about his wife. A lot of his jokes about his wife, how much she's made his life for the better, how much he loves her. You know, he really shits on boomer humor that is all about, I hate my wife. Like he really hates that and subverts it quite a lot. So a lot of his humor is like, one of my favorite jokes of his is about how having his wife around is like having a lawyer around because she'll just like say things to him that are like obviously wrong that he's never noticed. So an example being like, she'll be like, oh, you've been waiting for your food for a while. And he'll be like, yeah, <laughs> I have been waiting for my food for a while. That was very John Mulaney. Yeah, my yeah, yeah was really accurate. Thank yeah. you. You got the, the rhythm right. <laughs> yeah, but that's what he's like, you know, and it's like re- I, I really enjoy um, his Netflix specials and stuff and it's very funny and it's very relatable. And he's like a very typical brand of like man that a lot of women like because he comes off as a trustworthy, loving husband type, which is such a nice change of pace from some of the other more toxic masculine personalities that were given in social media. So people love him and him and his wife and everybody loves his wife and she's an artist and her name is Anna Marie Tenlal. Um, and people really ship them. They go to awards ceremonies together, blah, blah, blah. That's really important to know because at the end of last year, John Mulaney admitted himself into rehab for a drug addiction and people were really concerned for him. And then not long after that, there were cheating rumors. And I will say rumors because they're just rumors around John Mulaney and his wife, Anna. And apparently she, again, this is like not confirmed, but apparently she checked herself in to rehab over anxiety and stress around the cheating rumors that really upset her. And then in May, mind you, he came out of rehab in February this year. And then in May, their divorce was announced. And it was announced via Anna Marie, who said that she was heartbroken by it. And it seemed like she was a bit blindsided. So from what we know as the public, it does look like he is the one who left her and it seemed quite sudden and it really upset people. Like people were really shocked by that knowledge because like everybody was kind of like, oh my God, love isn't real. Like, you know, his entire brand is built off how much he loves his wife and now he's leaving her. Like, what does that even mean? People were really upset. But even then, I don't think the public consciousness towards John Mulaney was quite very negative yet. It was one of those things where people were like, oh, he's struggling with an addiction. Like there's clearly things going on in the background. He's obviously really struggling. Like I imagine that puts pressure on a relationship. And I feel like people were pretty sympathetic. They were like really heartbroken for Anna Marie. Like people were really upset for her and like really people really supportive of her. But like, I don't think there was a huge criticism of Melanie yet. And then (laughs) like, Like pretty much immediately, like I'm talking within the same month, a couple of weeks of the divorce being announced, it came out via rumors that ended up being true uh, that John Mulaney was now dating Olivia Munn, who, if you guys don't know her, she's like an actress and a model. She's very hot. Like, I don't know what else to tell you. There's not much else you need to know. And people were kind of like, um, okay, what the fuck? Like John Mulaney, wonderful husband, houseman, has now like left his wife and is dating this really hot celebrity. Everybody was kind of like, hmm, don't like that, especially because it was so close to the divorce. People were like having various opinions on it, mostly negative. I will say Olivia Munn received a lot of unnecessary hate for this as well because all the John Nana stands were losing it. Um, and then like there were pregnancy rumors on TikTok. So a couple of New York comedians were like, yeah, like we're in the same circle of people that like John Mulaney is in and his girlfriend is pregnant. This is still in like May times, by the way. And people are like, 
surely that's not fucking true. So it's a bit of a conspiracy, right? This pregnancy thing is like a full on TikTok conspiracy. And there's no more proof than like just the words of these two women. And then, like, just recently, um, pictures came out of Olivia Munn being very obviously pregnant. And that sent the internet into a tizzy because everybody was like, holy fuck, she's pregnant. We know she's dating John Mulaney. He's having a baby with Olivia Munn. And it's only been, like, six months or less since he ended his marriage with Anna Marie. And Olivia Munn definitely looks like she's been pregnant for more than six months. So now there's, like all kinds of speculation and John Mulaney and Olivia Munn have since confirmed that they are indeed having a baby together and it's just it's been wild like you guys can look more into the timeline online that it's pretty sus and a lot of people just feel like there was some overlapping or something a bit suspicious happening around there and there's been like extra upset on Anna Marie's side people who are siding with her in this breakup because John Mulaney has said previously that he wasn't interested in having children in their marriage. Um, and now, like, he's dumped her and then had, is having a baby with Olivia Munn. So it's just, like, the whole thing is pretty, like, cooked. Like, it's it's pretty gossipy, right? And, like, you don't have to know who John Mulaney is to know that it's gossipy. It's like textbook goss. Yeah, like, when I was telling Mitch about it, I mean, he doesn't really know these people or have a parasocial relationship with them. And he was just like, wow, that's a bit spicy. And I was like, yeah, I know, it's pretty wild, right? And the reason that I'm bringing this story in particular up out of the many salacious news stories that exist is because of the very specific fan base of John Mulaney and also how divided it's become. Because for me, like, I don't really know a lot about, like, entertainment news and I don't know a lot about celebrities. But I know John Mulaney because of him being on Netflix and me having seen his work. I, don't, I didn't know who Olivia Munn was, though. And so I was like, oh, my God, like a celebrity that I actually know, you know. And so I was reading about it and somewhat invested in it. But, like, the TikTok response and the Twitter response has been really interesting because there's two. there seems to be two sides in this fan base. On the one hand, there's people who are, like, really upset. So there's the, like, hardcore fans, or not even hardcore fans, just fans, who are like, I can't believe he's done this. Fucking all men are trash. This is the one man I trusted, and he's gone and done the same thing that all the other trash men do. And poor Anna Marie Tenler, like, I can't even imagine what she's going through, and I feel so sorry for her. Like, what a fucking dickhead, right? And there's people that, like, they feel really betrayed, by John Mulaney. And then the other side is people who are like really on this high horse, I think. And it's very like holier than thou, but it's like, oh, like you're upset because you have a parasocial relationship with a celebrity that clearly turned out to be as flawed as everyone else. Haha, <laughs> couldn't be me. Like there's very much that vibe of like a, oh, like cute that you think that this was more than it is. It's very snobby, I think, in my opinion. And there's we have been, issues with uh, with both sides. With both sides. But I think that one is like, okay, let's not pretend that like anyone is better than anyone for caring about celebrities. I just think that's silly. But yeah, so there seems to be these two sides of like, that could never be me because I don't give a fuck about celebrities. And then there's people who like are really invested in the story. And then like maybe there's a third tier of people like me who like sometimes read about it if it looks interesting and spicy, but like don't actually like really care about these celebrities on a personal level. Okay. Now that we have marked those uh, groups what we want to talk about today is like what each of those means and like what function these parasocial relationships have and like if we can actually really snob anyone for having those parasocial relationships 
And for those who don't know exactly what a parasocial relationship is, because I, I think, I mean, we use this term all the time. And I think it, it has sort of come into popularity in recent years. It's a term that's been used around a lot in media theory for quite a few years. And then I noticed in the past couple of years, uh, you see on like Twitter and YouTube and all these like- It's definitely becoming an online buzz. Yeah, all these, all these think pieces centered around uh, parasocial, parasocial relationships. relationships. Uh, but it's pretty straightforward. It's essentially when you have- as like a consumer of entertainment or media, you are, you have a one-sided relationship with the entertainer uh, that you watch or you consume. And it's different than just a regular celebrity that you enjoy, like maybe an actor you see at the movies, but you sincerely think that you have a sort of an intimate relationship with this person because you know all this stuff about their life. And in recent years, there's been even more efforts by influencers and celebrities to purposefully construct a parasocial relationship because it's incredibly profitable. It's more profitable than just being having your names appear in the tabloids. If you can have an intimate relationship with your audience, they're more likely to part with their money. Yeah. And that happens like all the time. Like it's not something that somebody's necessarily even conscious of, but there is an understanding that building that intimate friendship or basically what feels like a friendship, like letting people feel like they know you is helpful because then- then you have your fans, people who stand up for you, people who feel like they know you. And with the John Mulaney case, like I don't think he purposefully tried to foster parasocial relationships with his fans. But just by being like a relatable guy and his persona being like a relatable guy makes people feel like they know him. Because when we say that you have an, in- like it's different to just any celebrity because you feel like you have an intimate relationship with this one. We're not saying that you actually think you're in a relationship with them. What we're saying is that you think you kind of know them, that you understand them on a level that you don't really understand other celebrities. There's something like different. Yeah. And you think that if you did end up meeting them, that you two would be friends or you two would hit it mm. off because you know so much about them. You get their humor. You think you're on, you're on the same wavelength. Uh, exactly and we all we all are like that with at least one person that we don't know where we're like i don't know this person probably a celebrity but even if not a celebrity but you know i know enough about their socials i've learned enough about them online that i know we would totally get along in real life and like if we became friends like it would be cool that's also kind of a parasocial relationship because it's like they might not know who you are but you have a perception of them a positive one where you think that like you could be friends with them and you know them but also some people sincerely think that they are friends with these people yeah as well. they envision these people as like someone they know and are friends with but i did want to recall that like just because you don't think you're friends with any celebrities doesn't mean you don't have a parasocial relationship yes anyway now that we've defined parasocial relationship the thing that i guess i want to talk about with john mulaney specifically is that you don't need to have a parasocial relationship with john mulaney to find this interesting and be invested in it because inherently it is just good gossip and i guess we're going to talk about gossip a little bit because with mitch I'm going to use you as a case study, Mitch. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry to call up on you. But like when I was telling you about the John Mulaney like situation, which you knew nothing about, what were your thoughts? I mean, it's pretty spicy. Like, I don't know, I'm sort of on, on two minds. One, I think it's just sort of uh, interesting and it's easy to get caught up in just even in the immediacy of the conversation. But then also I think that partly it's not really uh, much of my business uh, as well. You know, I feel like we don't really know exactly what was going on mm. in this time. So we're definitely making some assumptions and leaps to make yes, the story. We're definitely filling in some gaps here. Yeah. And of course, the gaps we fill in will always be the ones that make it more interesting. You mm-hmm, know? Totally. But yeah, like with the John Mulaney thing, um, I don't blame people who have parasocial relationships with him to feel betrayed by this situation. And I can see how that happened. You know, I just feel like 
with people that do know him and do love him and care about him. Like, it's just a pretty salacious story. Like, it doesn't matter that he's a celebrity in that regard. Like, If, if you told me this happened to, like, a friend of yours or someone from high school, I would think I would feel... Uh, I would be as invested. Exactly. And that's the point that I'm trying to make here is on the one hand, parasocial relationships absolutely can be toxic and do really drive a lot of unnecessary investment and harassment from fans. But this particular scenario has frustrated me with like the criticism of fans, like the criticism from other like pseudo woke people on Twitter that are like, lol, couldn't be me having parasocial relationships. I'm not that basic. I'm too self-aware for that. It's like you, this story is just a good story. It's just one of those things that's a good story and you don't need to have a parasocial relationship because inherently we all just like gossip and gossip can transcend who the fuck it's about. Like you could replace John Mulaney and Anna Marie Taylor's names with literally anybody and the story would still be spicy and juicy and we'd still want to read it and we would still want to consume it and we would still want to talk about it because actually this is less about parasocial relationships in my opinion and more about gossip. And I guess I want to talk about gossip then right? We're going to be some gossip apologists. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Look, I do want to point out that before I start talking about gossip, I do want to differentiate between gossip and like straight up bitching or backbiting. Okay. Like when I say gossip, I'm not saying like sitting in the corner being like, oh my God, did you see Stacey's dress? She looks so ugly. Like that's not what we're talking about. When I talk about gossip, I'm talking about stories, information, even if it's salacious information, it's still information. And that's important to this discussion. Because people like to gossip and gossip transcends our relationships with everybody. Like it can be about anybody and I will gossip with you. Like there will be random girls that I meet at a party that are like, oh my God, I have to tell you about this, you know, insert random person's life that I don't know anything about. And I will like, listen, you know how much I used to love working at like in retail and hearing gossip? Not because it matters. I don't know these people. And when ne- it's never even bitching. That's something that I find interesting is there's this perception of gossip as really quite negative and cruel. And that's often not the case. Like a lot of it, I think it's just, it's just good storytelling. It's just entertainment. And it's not something that we hold often, at least in my opinion, like a lot of moral judgments on. Like I might hear a story of, oh my God, did you hear about what happened to blah, blah, blah. And it's not a story that reflects who blah, blah, blah is as a person. It's just like, wow, that that happened to them. You know, it's like those, it's just entertainment. And like gossip is a legitimate bonding form. Like there are scientific papers on gossip and how it was like necessary to build societies, to foster relationships And how, like, not even just necessary, but, like, at some points beneficial. There's a really interesting Times article, which I will link in our sources below, that summarizes a lot of that scientific research on, like, the kind of pro-social benefits of gossiping and its function. And there was one bit that I found really interesting, and it was describing, like, a kind of game, like a study that they made people participate in, where people have, like, are all given money to start with, and then they have to distribute it around in their groups. And then the groups are like moved around and changed and the people are shuffled. But people in these groups talk and they will tell each other how much money other people are giving in to like the group's funds. And like people who are stingy start getting ostracized and people who are generous start being well liked. And they actually start to build kind of unspoken rules. And like the people who were really stingy start to feel like they're being treated a bit negatively for being stingy and they'll start to give more money to become more liked. And it's just really interesting how people's like relationships change and how the structures of the groups change depending on like what one person has told another person in a different group because people talk. And I think with the John Mulaney situation, I guess what we're trying to get at here is like people have relationships with celebrities 
But I think we shouldn't dismiss the conversations people have about celebrities as just silly parasocial relationships where people are just being dramatic. Because I think there is a reason we talk about these things. There is actually something we get out of discussing drama of people we don't know. And especially with the John Mulaney one, because you know what my first thought is when I start to talk about it with somebody is, what do they think of this? Are we on the same page? And I think that's an important distinguishment to make because like... Am I really talking about John Mulaney or am I trying to suss out how you would approach this scenario? And am I subconsciously actually working on my friendship with you and my opinion of you rather than my opinion on John Mulaney? I think that really fosters a sense of intimacy and trust because, for example, in another gossipy situation, if I was like, oh my God, did you know that Jeremy cheated on Samantha? Wow, I'm struggling to think of these names on the spot. Like if you were the kind of, if I told you that and you were like, oh, that's like not a big deal, then I immediately know I don't like you and we don't have the same moral grounds because I think it's really bad that he cheated on her or whatever. Like sometimes gossip isn't necessarily to bitch about a person. We are using it to gather subconscious information on another person and how well they fit into our life and how well they mold to our vision of what society should be and how people should behave. Yeah, exactly. We're trying to paint this image that gossip isn't necessarily empty or vapid or a waste of time. And sometimes it's a bit of each, but it does have like a real purpose in our social lives and the way we interact with other people and who we know that like, oh, you think this about this like event, we're probably similarly oriented. Oh, you think this about this event? Oh, I probably want to distance myself from you or make a note that maybe you're not someone to be trusted in this mm, Exactly, because if you're okay with someone cheating on something, maybe you cheat on me. Like, you know, it really helps us build those ideas. And that's what celebrities are really useful for, in a way. Like, we can often use celebrities to map out social situations on, and then we use those hypotheticals in our own group to build our own friendships. And it's not necessarily actual sometimes it is actually just about that celebrity but sometimes it isn't and i would question even the times where you think it's you're genuinely invested in just that celebrity stories because i feel like it is always about more than that it's always more personal than that but also i think they have a different purpose as well it's not just so black and white as in you believe this i need to you know push you away you believe this i think we're friends but i think just the discourse around celebrities and gossip also have maybe a more nuanced role in that we can discuss these things and when we approach these conversations like talking about John Mulaney we don't necessarily know what we believe but through having this conversation and we may have different perspectives we can sort of negotiate uh, what we think is the right thing to do in this situation it's a way it's it's almost like a safe social space to negotiate social norms and values when you hear something in the news we can figure out how you should maybe act when you're cheated on or if you have a breakup And then when we actually experience those things ourselves, we have a better idea of what's expected of us or what's the right thing to do in that situation. So it's not just a way of tagging people and making sense of other people, but it's also a way of, as a society, negotiating what's right, moral rights, moral wrongs, etc., Yeah, I really like what you said about it being a safe space for negotiation. I think because we don't actually know celebrities and because we know that our words in the conversation we're having right now in our homes has nothing to do with them, it kind of gives us a safe way to talk about it without feeling like we're bitching about somebody. Because it's pretty different to talk about John Mulaney than it is to talk about like your best friend who got cheated on or whatever. And it gives you that space where you're like, neither of us have an emotional connection to this in the way that we do with our friends. And so we can talk about it 
this way and be invested in it. And so I guess like that's why this snobbery of parasocial relations with John Mulaney are really bothering me because I'm like, people are outraged about this, not just because they care about John Mulaney, but because it's actually impacted the way they socialize. Like this is forcing conversations on them having to adjust what they think of other people in their lives. And they have to like question things in their own lives because actually these celebrity parasocial relationships inform our own relationships every day. And it's it's more than just shallow like celeb talk. It actually like really fosters actual conversations that help us navigate our lives. I think almost what's more interesting is when there's like a celebrity scandal and there seems to be almost universal consensus. And there's not all these differing opinions. I'm thinking of, I don't know if I want to call it gossip because it's a bit more serious than that. But a few years ago with the, the whole Me Too thing. Again, mm. I don't, I've, I mean, it's not quite gossip. It, it's far more severe. Yeah, this is like stuff that happened. But there was essentially universal consensus as in this is wrong. This is a bad thing. And it shows like these celebrities function to elucidate and to make clear how you're meant to navigate this society and navigate these social relationships it's they they sort of delineate what's right and what's wrong yeah and i think that is actually a really really good way to explain why people feel invested in reality tv because reality tv is obviously a step below like celebrities and stardom these are people that we like know are kind of like regular people and we watch them do really toxic things especially for people who like you know like reality dating shows or things like maths that can show really quite bad relationships and bad communication skills and we see behavior that's quite toxic and harmful and the reason people are like so into watching that stuff is because we need that general consensus of whether that shit is wrong or right and watching that or even just like reading the news about me too and then having everybody be like this is fucked consolidates the societal opinion that we can't do these things you know i feel like something that is a kind of good example of a very local version of that is with maths and bryce and melissa which i know you haven't watched maths mitch and honestly neither have i i only know this because i like (laughs) am in the entertainment journalism field yeah but like their relationship was notoriously like people couldn't stand it and it was like full of like red flags and he was very like gaslighty and it was a lot of anger from viewers with his behavior on the show. Unfortunately, they're actually still together, which really sucks. And people are quite upset about that. And they're having a baby now, twins now, I think. So it's just, I feel like I don't want to comment too deeply on it because they are still together and they're in a relationship and they have children or are going to have children. But the public's response to Bryce's behavior was actually really important. Because we as a public responding to that and being like, that is fucked up. That is not okay. We cannot treat people like that. Actually adds new rules to society. Things we might not have talked about otherwise. We might not have publicly talked about otherwise. And sometimes seeing that disgusting behavior online and then condemning it is useful for us. I love that you just brought up this idea of red flags because I think that in and of itself is gossip. You know, Mm. how do red flags spread? How do you become aware that a certain thing is maybe an indicator of something worse? In a way... There is an informal network of women talking to each other about what was was potentially a sign for, you know, negative behavior, abuse or just, you know, assholery all around. That spreads through a form of of gossip. 
Uh, and sometimes that and is that from, is gossip that can save women's lives. Exactly, and sometimes that's from very personal experience. But sometimes it may be from watching, you know, The Bachelor. Or yeah, like maybe you watch wrong. Maths and you're like, "Holy fuck, my relationship looks like this." And until I saw this like public response to this person's behavior, I didn't realize that I was in a toxic relationship. Like things like this can actually be in a way beneficial. And I do want to do a disclaimer that I don't like maths and I can't watch that shit because I find it quite stressful and triggering. And I'm not like defending shitty fucking reality TV, but I think more of just like, if we're going to talk from like a media theory perspective and like a social perspective on what these things do, there are occasionally benefits. And I actually, the point you made Mitch about red flags is so true because that is something I read online when I was researching like the benefits of gossip. And one of them was how, especially kind of in older times before social media, like like older, older times, like village times, when the only form of kind of information spread was word of mouth, like gossip was really, really important because that's how you knew who was beating their wife. That's how you know which one of these guys is fucking around. Like that's how you know who to avoid, who to be careful of, who to keep an eye on and who might be good for you. And yeah, red flags, you're so right, actually. Like, you've just blown my mind, to be honest, because that's so true. Like, even the term red flag appeared conversationally. These are things that now we talk about all the time. But in order to even know what red flags are, people who have been in bad relationships have to share that information. And generally, yes, that is in a pretty casual setting. That being said, while it's clear that as a society, we use gossip to negotiate certain norms and solidify what we expect from each other, that doesn't always mean that what we do end up negotiating and solidifying is always some good social truth. Often, we are normalizing certain things that are really quite negative and problematic and bad. Yeah, like, for example, a lot of the celebrity gossip we see is pretty slut-shamey, right? Like, a lot of it uh, shames women for being sexual or for the clothes that they're wearing, you know, like, literally read any article by the Daily Mail. (laughs) But the point is, like, this stuff is, like, negative stuff, you know? Now we're creating new discourses about women having to be modest. And when women aren't modest, we publicly shame them. And now we're reinforcing the idea that women shouldn't dress that way because we're slamming them in the media and we're talking about it. Another reality TV example is, like, on The Bachelor a couple of seasons ago when we had Pakistani woman Ariba get, like, racially attacked on the show and, like, there was no discourse about it there was pretty limited discourse about it. So what that did with the lack of people like slamming Zoe or whatever kind of made us think, oh, so that behavior is okay. So we've negotiated that it's all right for everybody to be treated that way, even though it's not. That was pretty racist. But because there wasn't like this public discourse, that actually reinforced a negative norm Or even like when we have really homophobic pieces go up or when we have really homophobic discourse on like math, which has happened for a couple of seasons now, that is reinforcing negative problematic shit that isn't good, but it is being reinforced because that is what the public perception is doing. Yeah. Gossip isn't inherently good or bad, Mm. always going to lead to necessarily positive or negative things, but it's a neutral social and cultural process. Yeah. Like I think maybe what we're trying to say is like gossip is a tool. It's a tool for us to negotiate certain norms. It's a tool for us to negotiate our relationships and it's a tool we use to perpetuate certain ideas. And sometimes that can be really positive. Like when we make it known that things like what's happening to the victims of Me Too are bad or when we talk about red flags in relationships or when we talk about somebody gaslighting somebody, like that is us trying to denormalize shitty behaviors that have otherwise been accepted. But then on the flip side of that, it can also really take society backwards 
when we continuously normalize things like slut shaming or misogyny or racism. Like it is important that while we've talked mostly about the positive benefits of gossip because it has a negative rep, what we're trying to say is it is just a tool and it can be used in many ways. And some of those are positive and some of those are really negative, but they do exist in all forms. And this gossip around celebrities and reality TV shouldn't always be dismissed as shallow because actually it is a mechanism for some societal changes, good or bad. And I think all this definitely uh, marks uh, a shift in perspective that I've had maybe since I was younger in high school to now. Because I think when I was younger, I used to see stardom and celebrityism as a bit shallow and vapid. Uh, And maybe I would, if someone was really into all that stuff, that would be my indicator that potentially I wouldn't really vibe with them. But then now, especially as I immerse myself into sort of researching media theory and becoming aware of the, the current debates that are happening, it's really the other way around. I think current discourse is really sympathetic and understanding of the sort of vital role that celebrities play in our society. Yes, they may be paid too much. Yes, maybe sometimes they're problematic. Maybe we shouldn't be investing so much of ourselves into these celebrities However, I think celebrities in a way will always exist in some shape or form because they provide such an essential role in our world building. Yeah, like I'm definitely one of those people that I like, I just, I fucking hate celebrities. They shouldn't exist and I can't stand them and I'm very eat the rich. But at the same time, like, I don't think people being interested in their discourse is shallow or problematic. I don't think it reflects something moral and I don't think people are dumb for caring about celebrities because inherently they do actually mean something they portray things and they're symbols like they're symbols for certain behavior and they are often what we use to decide what we can and can't do so as we're approaching the end of this episode we really wanted to talk about this idea of the the death of the celebrity the end of the celebrity as we know it but we're sort of employing that term ironically because i think that the celebrity is undying i think it's an eternal almost archetypal form that is always going to be important Uh, in our lives. I think social media has fundamentally changed the idea of the celebrity and expanded who can become a celebrity and also the way someone is a celebrity. You know, I think social media uh, influences and celebrityism rely far more on parasocial relationships more than they did 60 or 100 years ago. In my mind, probably because I study film, when I think of the early celebrities, I think of, you know, 40s and 50s cinema where there was the star system uh, where essentially... An actor was owned by the studio and they would have a consistent persona throughout all their films. And then also the studio would create a persona backstage as well, where they would completely manufacture a life and personality outside the films. But typically both the on-screen persona that was constructed and the off-screen persona that was constructed through uh, manufactured dates and events typically cohered. There was a consistency between what you see on the stage and what you see, uh, quote unquote, in real life. But nowadays, I think with social media and what I think is key to parasocial relationships and why they feel so authentic is because I think now we expect and what we really want is to see uh, an incoherence in a way, a discontinuity between Mm. the persona you have on screen, on stage and online and the persona you have in real life. Because seeing that there's a difference there is what makes it feel real. It's authentic. Yeah, it's- An authentic person is different in real life than they are online. Exactly. And so when we see someone like, I'm trying to think of a famous celebrity, I'm just going to say Timothy Chalamet because that is 
relevant. And also the love of Mitch's life. <laughs> the love of Mitch's life and Anna. <laughs> and, and yes, and Anna Marie Tendler, um, John Mulaney's ex-wife, because apparently she has loved Timothy Chalamet for a long time. And rumor has it, and like quite literally a rumor, um, apparently rumor has it that she had a little little naughty hookup with Timothy Chalamet after her divorce with John Mulaney, which honestly, unlikely, but I, I hope so. <laughs> Good, <laughs> Good for, for her. her. Good for her. <laughs> but when I see him on screen on the red carpet and he looks all decked down. Very suave. Well, yeah, live, live, looking like a celebrity. But then if I see him uh, drinking a coffee or something on his ephemeral Instagram story, I'm going to be like, oh, you see, like it draws attention to the fact that this on-screenness is performative. And then that means when I see him on screen, I'm aware that is actually a real person yeah. performing, which actually makes me like him more. Yeah. Like when he posts his coffee pics and his brunch pics, and I feel like, oh, I do that too. Yeah. I drink coffee too. He's just like me. We both need our morning coffee, like blah, blah, blah. Also, this is a side note, but he also just like, when he's not dressed up and on the red carpet, looks like literally any, any other guy that I could have run into at university. <laughs> like... Not to be a hater, but I am of the unpopular opinion that Timothy Chalamet is overrated. And it's not just because Mitch is in love with him. <laughs> like no. He just is, in my opinion, quite overrated. And I don't get the hype because I could find like six guys who looks like him in any arts degree in UNSW. But anyway, the point is when these big fancy, and you know, you know, there's a really good example of this actually is Zendaya. I think Zendaya is a really great example of like, you see her at like the Met Gala and she looks incredible. Like she looks ethereal. She looks like an angel descendant from heaven. And it's like, she looks otherworldly. It's gorgeous. And then you see like her on, you know, the random videos of her like singing in the car. There's one, that was one that went viral of her singing in the car while driving and stuff. And it's like, she just looks like any other girl I could be friends with. And yeah, then I'm like, I could totally be friends with Zendaya. Look how relatable she is. We, we do that too. Like, and there you go. Boom, parasocial relationship. <laughs> yeah. And I think what is interesting is that sometimes this break between the constructedness of being a celebrity and then the authenticity of being a regular person uh, that you uh, show glimpses into that life on social media, sometimes that is completely incidental and really genuine. That's just what happens. But yeah. sometimes there are other celebrities who are very intentionally creating that gap between what you see on stage or in in the press and then are very purposefully trying to create quote unquote authentic glimpses into their life on social media. But the truth is, is that they're both just as performative and it's because it's incredibly profitable. It's incredibly lucrative to construct this aura of authenticity. This sort of performative authenticity has been a very big topic of research for a lot of uh, media theorists. And there's actually this really fantastic Australian media theorist who's also very young called Crystal Abedin. Love and her. Did a lot of her work in my degree. Yes, we read a lot of her work. She is. She is fantastic and very just in tune. We should get her on the podcast sometime. That would be crazy. She's Aussie and young. Surely we could like slide in those DMs, right? She talks about this idea of porous authenticity, as well as something I find really interesting, which is calibrated amateurism, which is exactly what we're talking about. This construction of authenticity by using certain underproduced means of, of media or filming yourself or putting stuff online or purposefully getting things wrong because it creates a sense that this celebrity life isn't so completely constructed. I'm like one of you guys. I make yeah. mistakes like you do and I mess up like you do. And we're actually all the same. That's why you should like me more. Exactly. There's a there's actually a really funny example of this that I coincidentally came across, like while not researching for the podcast. 
There's a news.com.au article that I will link in the sources below um, about a publicist. Like he's like a publicist for all these like Hollywood stars called Rob Shooter. And he like was talking about being JLo's publicist and stuff. And he's recently coming out with a book, I think called The Four Big Words or I don't know, something relevant, don't care. But the point is he knows a lot about celebrities because he is a publicist and he helps in brand building. And I just like am dying at this quote about Jessica Simpson that he has said as somebody who has worked with her and other celebrities in the past. He said, contrary to her ditzy image, she is incredibly astute. She recognized that part of her appeal was being the underdog, a star that people could really identify with. She deliberately put lipstick on her teeth between media interviews or before media interviews or walking the red carpet because not looking perfect made her relatable and ultimately more successful. And he says that she like elicited sympathy from fans during her divorce in 2006 by doing things like that, which just like, that was so funny to me because that's just exactly what we're talking about right now, where she's like a very famous celebrity who purposefully like put lipstick on her teeth. I just can't. That's so funny because like that is a mistake that would happen to a lot of other people. Definitely has happened to me. Embar- it's something that's like embarrassing and it's embarrassing in like a cute ditzy kind of way. It's not like a big fuck up, but it's enough for you to be like, oh, lol, like she's just as flawed as me. We're talking early 2000s. This is a long time ago. But still, like, so relevant because that was, I mean, even pre, like, a lot of social media, but just an example about how manufactured a lot of this authenticity is. And I honestly think that, like, we're starting to pick up on that a little bit. I think people are very good at being able to tell when somebody is being authentic. I think especially now that we're quite used to social media, it's given us a lot more skills that we didn't have a few years ago. It's made us a lot more critical. We're able to recognize fakeness, I think, a little bit better in terms of somebody's behavior. And I think that's why people are so over Jennifer Lawrence right now. I feel like the 2010 era, like Jennifer Lawrence was like the queen of celebrity stardom and the internet. She was so relatable. Everyone liked her. I honestly always found it a bit annoying. So not to be one of those, I told you so people. But like she, you know, she was like, people loved her. She was so relatable. She fell over when she was walking up that red carpet. She used to regularly talk about how when she was younger, all of her friends would be on diets and she'd be eating all these burgers. Look at her, relatable queen. Actually turns out a lot of that was internalized misogyny. But anyway, now I feel like there's a bit of a, disconnect and people are kind of sick of her and like people don't really like her that much and people find the whole relatable thing just like irritating and I think people just see through it now I think people have recognized a lot of that authenticity is performative and a lot of her I'm not like other girls is fake and also we're also just a little bit more aware of internalized misogyny too and how that represents her particular brand of not like other girls but yeah I think like in a way we are because we're so inundated with these celebrities and they're like various personalities we're starting to see through some of the older pre-social media shit like Jennifer Lawrence and like we're noticing it but do you see what we're doing right now talking about Jennifer Lawrence I know I'm acting like I know her and I have a parasocial relationship with her and we're gossiping we're figuring out like why we find this sort of performative authenticity so inauthentic and so sickening in a way. Yeah, and then I'm going to take this into my life in the future and be like, okay, I'm going to make sure I don't say or do things like that because people are going to think that I'm fake. Yeah, we're using her as an example of how how not to act so we're more equipped to figure out how we want to act. Exactly. And I think we have a bit of a, a paradoxical relationship with celebrities and with our expectations of them because I think 
in one stroke, we want less from them. We want to see their real life. Uh, we, we want them to be more truthful. Yeah, we want we want we want them to act less. We want less from them in that regard. But we also want more from them because we want to see everything. We don't yes. just want to see when they're on screen, on stage, going live. We want to see every single moment that occurs between those moments. You know what mm. I mean? And I think then- we want them to be like online all the time. And I think part of that is because of like a distrust as well. To prove that they're really authentic, we need to see them 24-7, yeah. which means they need to perform 24-7. And that expectation also lies on us. I think we have an expectation as just as ev- everyday people totally. to be online all the time. And then also to take up the role of a celebrity to manage our social media accounts, like where mm. the term is micro celebrities. You know, everyone, whether you have, uh, a million followers or a hundred followers, we are constructing our online personas like we're a little brand. Yes, I have a friend who like, oh, she's it's so funny because she's always like to me, do you think do you think I've posted too much this week? Do you think people will like be annoyed? And I'm like, girl, do you care when other people post more than once a week? And she's like, no. And I'm like, yeah, it's fine. But like, even that self-consciousness of like, will it impact my brand of being like the cool girl if I post too much? And this is like not a public social media account. This is like a private social media account. And she is like, I feel that way. You feel that way. Everybody feels that way. When you're like, should I post this? Should I not post this? How will it impact people's perceptions of me? Like I need to carefully manage this. Like, it's a brand. It is a brand. Whether or not we see it as a brand, it is, that's what it is. Building on that, there is a really great Andy Warhol quote, which is actually not an Andy Warhol quote because it's misattributed (laughs) to him, but I'm going to attribute to him nonetheless. Uh, He said in the past- Apparently. Apparently. (laughs) In the future, everyone will be world famous for 15 minutes. I think everyone's heard that. You have your 15 minutes of fame. But I think recent sort of deviations on that quote uh, seem far more relevant and true, which is that on the web- Everyone is famous to 15 people. Yes, so true. So we see so this, this shift away from there being a sort of single monolithic media that everyone gets their moment of fame on, where we have more a more networked, sort of segmented and fractured celebrity space, where in a way everyone's a celebrity to a small amount of people. Yes, exactly. And I think they're really relevant, like something really relevant to that is just like how many celebrities we don't know as well. Because Mitch and I were just talking the other day and I was looking through the people that were at the Met Gala and I don't know who some of these younger people are and they are like really famous. There's like the D'Amelio, I think they're sisters. I don't know, from TikTok. And I'm on TikTok all the time. Like I am very much on TikTok and I just didn't know who these people were because it's like despite being on the app for hours and hours all the time, I'm just in such a specific bubble. There are creators that I love and follow and I would recognize in person and to me they're celebrities and then there are actual like i would quote and not actual celebrities but you know what i mean people who are more widely considered celebrities who have like millions of followers and i've never heard of them because like we're just so segmented now we're in our little bubbles and we only see the people of our interest and then when we keep seeing those people of you know our interest in our little bubbles even if we don't know them they're celebrities to us now because we just keep seeing their content and we see other people engage with them it's really interesting I think the whole being famous to 15 people is definitely very relevant as well to mitch and i and particularly to me on Instagram, because that's something I'm still kind of accepting is that there are people who see me as like an actual personality. I, it even like, I feel arrogant saying celebrity, but I feel like some people treat me a little bit that way on Instagram. And it is something that's like kind of hard to deal with, which like 
it's wild because it makes me a little bit more sympathetic to celebrities than I have been in the past. Because like, obviously our listeners who listen to podcasts, especially if you've listened to things like internalized racism and interracial dating, those episodes, you know quite a lot about me. (laughs) You know a lot of my personal anecdotes, aware of my dating traumas. Like there is quite an intimate one-way relationship between us where you know a lot about me and I don't really know that much about you. And I don't like, you know, from all the people that listen to the podcast, I don't know and I haven't even spoken to most of you. But you know me and you recognize me on the street. Like I'll get a DM being like, oh, I think I saw you at blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh my God, yes, that was me. How strange. But it is like, it is difficult. It is difficult to be a person that people have a parasocial relationship with, where people think they know you or when people feel maybe a little bit entitled to your time and you can't manage that as an individual. Because something that I really struggle with is like always being available and That was something I think I problematically, as in for myself, I did that. Like early in the days of the podcast, I really made myself very available. And then my life changed. Like back then I was only working a couple of days a week, sometimes not working at all. I was freelancing a lot. I had a lot of free time. So I had a lot of time to spend on Instagram. And especially when our podcast was really new and this was like so wild and exciting for me like I was talking to every single person that dm'd me and I was constantly having like 30 conversations at once and I really didn't mind I honestly enjoyed it and like I don't regret any of that but now I'm kind of at a point where like things have changed now I work like a 42 hour week I am pretty busy I work full-time I moved outside of home we also do the podcast on top of me working full-time I have a lot going on And suddenly I'm no longer as free as I want to be to engage with people on social media. And because I forget that like people have parasocial relationships with me and that I'm like someone that people think of, (laughs) it can be jarring when I get like messages that are like, oh, why didn't you talk about this thing that happened in the news? Why haven't you commented on it? You clearly just don't care. Wow, you're a fake. And I'm like a fake. I'm not even trying to be anything (laughs) like to be a fake. I'd have to be trying to be something. I just like have an Instagram that I post on every now and then. And you guys have probably noticed I haven't posted anything in like a week and I haven't opened their DMs on my Instagram that I haven't opened from like seven days ago. It's just because like it can actually be really exhausting to have people that feel like they know you all the time and you don't know them. And I don't mean that, like I want to clarify that I don't mean that in a negative way and I don't want people to feel bad for messaging me because I encourage it all the time. And like I, most of the time will respond eventually and have those conversations. But it is emotionally exhausting to be like an individual with a life and a job who's busy and then to always have people that like, feel entitled to me enough that they get frustrated when I'm not available and I don't know you (laughs) like I don't unfortunately I don't really know you and like I will take time to reply things because I'm busy when like the Taliban took over Afghanistan which we covered a bit in the podcast but within the day of that happening and I was working that day I had a DM later on within the same day being like I can't believe you haven't commented on this and it was really aggressive and combative and I was really shocked because I was like it's not my job to update this Instagram every second with every news right we talk about most of what we talk about on the podcast and I post when I can post but I'm also like busy and honestly like that was a really emotionally like difficult thing for me to deal with like it made me really sad I was also getting like fucking Islamophobic trolls and like things were happening that were making it difficult for me to be online and I think I do get a bit frustrated sometimes with the way parasocial relationships that people have with me lead me to be pressured to feel like I have to have an opinion on everything all the time and I'm just like 
opinion machine and I have to throw out take after take. And if I miss one, like I failed and now I'm a fake and everybody is like calling me out because how dare I have not commented on this one thing. And it's like, it's frustrating. It's hard. Like, cause I am just a regular person who like just has a few followers on Instagram, but like, I'm not a celebrity and I don't see myself as a celebrity. And like, in a lot of ways you would argue that I'm not one. But the way that the internet works leaves some people to see me as one and treat me as one and put the same expectations onto me as like a legitimate celebrity who has a publicist and his full-time job is being a celebrity. That's not me. You know, like I have a career and a job and it's just something I like doing as like more of a hobby (laughs) and more of a like thing that we care about, we're passionate about. So we try and make the time to do this, but it is hard. And I think maybe like this is a good episode for people to like also evaluate the parasocial relationships we have with people that aren't like John Mulaney, <laughs> you know, like random people online. I have parasocial relationships with people too, but definitely like my Instagram has made me more careful about my expectations of other people. Cause I'm definitely guilty of in the past having been like, wow, this person didn't comment on this issue when they have a history of commenting on these issues. They clearly actually don't care about anything. Like I've definitely had that mindset in the past and I'm guilty of that. But having been on the receiving end of that, when I'm like, just, I'm honestly just not physically capable of commenting on everything all the time, really makes me more sympathetic to other like quote unquote celebrities. Yeah, no, I totally get how you feel. And I think my relationship with this podcast is a little bit different because firstly, I mean, it's not my face on the on the image and not in the title. Uh, and as the pod- podcast has progressed, I think my role has sort of expanded a bit more and I have a very tiny, like 140 followers on, on Instagram. So I definitely don't feel this because I mean, 6,000 seems like a lot to me. Well, it's kind of wild when like, I don't know 6,000 people in real yeah, life. Yeah, I feel like at that point, it's like an audience that is... It has to be managed in some capacity. Yeah, Whereas, I definitely feel the emotional exhaustion of managing I definitely audience. don't feel that um, with mine. But still, I mean, I think we have enough listeners on this podcast that it feels like I'm putting myself out there, which is something I sort of have to get away from because if I was really thinking that every word that I say was going to be listened to by that many people, I would probably just sort of completely break down and stutter. So I really just have to sort of focus on you. But I, I think at first, this whole thing gave me a bit of anxiety just because I felt like you have to have an opinion on anything. I think especially if you're a, a sort of a micro celebrity, I guess, as we are online and you, you're creating this personality around politics specifically, I think it's very easy to fall into the trap of being an opinion machine. And sometimes you're just trying to spit out hot takes because that's what people come to you for. And sometimes you say stuff without really thinking too hard because you just know that something has to be said on this topic. And I think I would be very anxious about talking about something that I have to sort of posture as being more knowledgeable on than at least like the average listener. And that was sort of stressful, especially if I wasn't more knowledgeable. Yeah, it's hard when everybody like kind of expects you to be an expert on everything because you're an expert on a couple of things. And I think people definitely have that perception of us or at least me on Instagram where like I might be really knowledgeable on a few things, but I don't have the answers to everything. And this podcast is a learning experience for like me and Mitch as much as it is for our listeners because we like research the episodes, you know, like we don't start an episode because we're an expert on it. We're like, this topic is interesting. Let's read about it and then potentially do an episode on it. And I think people who listen to it obviously aren't in the backstage. They're not in the background. They're not seeing the prep that we do. They're not really aware of what's going on. So when they listen to a podcast, it just sounds like we're talking off our own thoughts. 
when we're quite informed, like we've read about it and that's the way you form any opinion. But like when people think that it's so effortless because it comes off effortless and then they DM you constantly asking for your takes on everything all the time, especially when you don't know about something, it can be really hard. Yeah. So even though it may be arrogant or it feels arrogant at the very least to say that we're celebrities, especially me with my little <laughs> 140 followers on my public well, Instagram account. If there were 140 people standing in front of you, then it would feel like a lot. Yeah, I would definitely be struggling more than I already am to speak. <laughs> but yeah, I think we'd still enact the role of the celebrity. And I think that is both an interesting thing and potentially a problematic thing. I'm still, even in this area, I'm not entirely sure how I feel mm. about that, whether we should try to push away this idea of celebrityism as just commodifying every single living soul and everyone being super performative, or maybe if it's uh, a good self-aware thing. I don't know. I'm, I'm conflicted on that. But I think at the end of the day, even as the conventional mediums and entertainment industries that typically built what we think to be the conventional celebrity, even as they slowly die, even as technologies change, cultural products change, societal forms change, I think the idea of the celebrity will forever remain consistent, at least in some form, mm. you know, as we move from film to TV and then from TV to social media, I think even as what the celebrity looks like change, I think the social function they play will always be there, at least in some capacity. Yeah, because even if we just abolished all the Kim Kardashians and like major celebrities of the world, I would still exist. Do I consider myself a celebrity? No. Does the average person who meets me consider me a celebrity? No. But if you just like went off the way people treat me online, people treat me like I am one. The way they talk to me and the way they DM me and, the, and, and also the weight they place on my actions and opinions as though I have the platform of like somebody much more famous, which is, yeah, exactly what we're saying. Where like, even if we got rid of all the rich kind of big people who we actually generally believe are celebrities, that people always have relationships with people, even minor people that will feel like celebrities. They will always be somebody who fills that role, whether or not they're like rich and famous. Doesn't seem to matter anymore. Somebody can be like a celebrity without fulfilling any of those things because it's about how we treat them and how we learn off them and the way we map things onto them in society. Cool. Well, thanks for listening to what may potentially be the longest episode of Here's the Thing Though podcast. We'll see after I edit it what it comes down to. But anyways, I think now is a good time to talk about our sponsors for the episode, which is you guys, our lovely, lovely, lovely listeners. Specifically, we'd like to thank Pia, Sarah, Liz, Bell, and Katie. So thank you so, so much for supporting us. Yeah, thank you for supporting us. I feel like this episode is also making me feel like a little bit more thankful. I'm always thankful, obviously, but more thankful because it's like, y'all, we're all real people. (laughs) Those names we read out are real human beings online that like help us out and support the podcast. Isn't that wild? It's crazy. Are, it's so cool. You, you people listening are real people. We're not just talking into a void. It's crazy. <laughs> oh my goodness. So wild. Feeling I'm suddenly feeling conscious and I don't like it. <laughs> if you thought our discussion today was interesting, thought-provoking or something you learned from, please consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Saliha. And if signing up isn't your thing, you can also do one-off donations to our PayPal link at paypal.me forward slash Saliha to support future episodes. Both the PayPal and the Patreon links are in my Instagram bio and we'll also pop them uh, in our links below. Um, And head over at Saliha Official where you can give me a follow if you like today's episode and DM me, but please don't be combative or aggressive because I'm not a celebrity and I'll cry. And follow my Instagram at mitches.miscellanea for discussions around film, books and music. And maybe you can become the 140 
first <laughs> follow-up. Also, if you have any comments or suggestions that you want to add to the discussion, you can DM me or email us at here's a thing though podcast at gmail.com and please include your name, pronouns and any other important info. And of course, remember to follow and subscribe. It really helps the podcast get out there to scary online people who are ghosts and not real. <laughs> true, true. Okay, well, thank you. Bye. Bye.